It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. good you know hanging in there hanging I guess. in there waiting uh yeah just feels like a sprint to the to the end of the year yeah it's funny how 2021 kind of had its own difficulties even though we were like you know the pandemic and its full lockdown was like 2020 but 2021 right. just feels like a scattered weird like non-reality year mm-hmm. you know even more so even though trump was gone and like I don't know. It just felt like a weird year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those years where you wake up and it's Friday and then you wake up the next day and it's the next Friday. <laughs> and you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> is it Ice Cube and Chris Tucker is always in that movie? Um, anyway, is it Ice Cube? Yeah, Ice Cube's in, in, in uh Which film Friday. are you talking about? Oh, Friday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Anyhow, um how's your how's your uh, your daughter took a hit since last time we talked yeah dude it's been yeah well she broke her arm right just running on the playground somehow she tripped and straight armed into the ground mm-hmm. um she's doing fine the other one's been just sick for like the last three weeks oh really so yeah sad. you guys are it's it's your um it's your first year in daycare yeah <laughs> yeah every parent's like oh yeah your kids in daycare for the first time oh yeah <laughs> yeah so she's had ear infections and you know just has been like and also she's like getting molars in so mm-hmm. she just like like literally i think every day for the last month and it might be more than that um we wake up at like five thirty a.m to a two-year-old screaming at us at the top of her lungs about how she wants muffins mm. um like today, you for got example, like a freaking strung out muffin addict. We've got a strung out muffin addict, and when there's no muffins, you there's hell to pay. So, like, <laughs> if you were in my kitchen at five forty five a.m. this morning, you would have seen me whip, whipping up a batch of muffins in the dark. for a screaming two year old. Um, so yeah, dude, that's how my, my life nice. is going right now. <laughs> right on. Well, my kid's been like this total hellion at school. He already like doesn't really like school, and he's in kindergarten. <laughs> and if you don't like kindergarten, man, you're fucked. It's downhill. Yeah, from it's not going to get any more fun, dude. <laughs> so, did you check out anything I was posting a couple weeks ago about the Grigri on the Normal Cast page? On Instagram? Yeah. No, no. On uh, actually, it was on a Facebook page. Oh, you know, I I've like severely limited my social media use. I like deleted Instagram from my phone. Did you? So I haven't been like. Wow. Really following up on that as closely as I, I normally do. Right. Well, I, the Facebook thing has been uh, always been a little, I mean, that's been a while where I've been away from it. But I, I drop into my Facebook page and, you know, like as a business kind of thing, you're like trying to keep things going over there. And yeah. and it's funny what I, I what like hits. Yeah. You know, like I make what I think is a really clever joke and like I get a like or two. <laughs> a comment, you know, a winky face comment or whatever. And that's the end of it. And generally it's, it's funny too, because I've always noticed that if I'm being a little bit mean or cranky, then that usually gets a lot more like interest and comments Mm. and likes. But this thing I did on there, you get, you get the fire symbol and some clapping hands. Then someone just says this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> With the little two pointers <laughs> pointing up to it. Finally, this. <laughs> but um, I got a little bit of that on this post. So I posted something about how I don't like to use the gree for multi-pitch climbing. Ooh, okay. And I, and, I, and I explained that I find that if you have like a, a lap coil and you're and you're and it's like you're on a hanging belay and your rope's there and the gree there it's like really hard to like keep the rope coming out of the coil and feeding rope and having your hand on the belay device mm. if you want to actually give like a fast belay right you know like a like a sport climbing type belay where someone's trying really hard and needs the rope really quickly it always seems to catch because you're like like you have three hands, you have the one pulling, yeah. You have the one impeding the the device, you know, because you have to hold the hold the thing down to let the rope go through. Yeah. But then you want a third hand to be kind of like dealing with the ropes coming off the coil. Mm. And I've just found that I short people a lot. Um, the way it sits in my lap, it's not, you know, when you're standing there belaying sport climbing, it's like free there in front of you, and it the way it has to sort of sit on top but of the. Do coil. you think that's a gre- the Gregory's fault? Well, I don't have the problem with the ATC. That's why I use the ATC. Because the but you, ATC, but is your brake hand on the rope when you're using an ATC? Yeah, but the brake hand on a, a on a Grigri has to both be on the rope and at the device to stop mm. the cog from catching the rope. I'm right? getting concerned about all the times so, that you've belayed me because so, I'm hearing that you don't understand how to use the Grigri as well as I thought you might have. Well, I'm, I'm not talking about sport climb. I'm talking. I've never multi pitch climb with oh, you. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so see, this but good isn't that it the just... same? Isn't it the same technique? No, it's not. Huh. Because your rope isn't just—you're not standing there. Because let me say this: yeah. Let, let's go back. So the point, my point is, is that if the rope gets caught in your lap coil, yeah, okay, or like you fed some out, but but it's run out or it's caught on something, you have to move your hand, keep it on the rope, but move it away from the device to flick the rope off of Got whatever it. it's on, at which point you can no longer feed rope because now the device is going to catch the rope because right. you your hand had to be right next to the device to stop the cog from catching I the rope. I see what you're saying. Yeah. With an ATC, you don't have to do that. Right. Your so that's what I'm talking about. The third, yeah, because you can still have your hand on the brake while you're flicking the rope okay. off, while you're still hucking rope out of there. I understand your problem. Okay. So, and, and the, the reason this is like interesting is because I I put that out there. I had my explanations and and I, you know, and I knew it would be somewhat like controversial because the ATC like gets dumped on like on a frequent basis. Mm-hmm. And it did. It like blew up. It was like 60 some comments or more. I haven't even looked at. It. I stopped I stopped looking at them because at first I was like kind of, you know, stoking the fire. <laughs> yeah, stoking the fire, but it was like, you know, it was all good. Like people were explaining why they think I'm wrong. They right. were, you know, they were making fun of me just like that. Like, you don't know how to use a Grigor. Yeah, yeah. How are you going to have partners? But it made me realize a lot of things about not just like how these posts work and how comments work and stuff, but about like discussions and climbing and how, you know, first of all, what I realized is that a lot of people think that not using a Grigory to belay at all times is basically like attempted murder. Mm. Like you are just a completely useless like living in the past like there's no possible way that you're not like 
<laughs> on on a high speed rail to an accident if you don't always have a grigri. Right. There was a bunch of examples. People gave me these elaborate examples of accidents that happened if that would have not occurred with a grigri. Right. Or um yeah, if you had a grigri versus an ATC. So that was really interesting too. But the thing that was kind of wild is that like it was a lot of back and forth, like people talking and telling, you know, why I'm wrong or blah, blah, blah. And like a lot of ribbing, you know, which I expected because that's like the vibe of the Enorma cast. But after a little while, it like inevitably turned sour, you know, and I thought it was great. Like, and, it, and in fact, it's made me rethink like trying it again, you know, like going up on a multi-pitch route, like in the black or something like that with a Grigri because of the arguments that people were making. Like it was So some people like kind of gave you some Yeah, ideas it was changing change my mind. mind. Yeah. And like, okay, well, you know, like, well, you just have to make sure and have like the coil out, like have some some lead time, which you do anyway. You want to do that anyway. I just find that like that's all well and good some of the time, but you you know, you're always spacing out and all of a sudden like your rope's caught up in your coil again. Mm. It's like just part of the thing. But they're right. If you're more proactive about that, then it's probably gonna work better. The people that were explaining the accidents were right. A Grigri works if you get knocked out. You know, if your Blair gets yanked off the ledge and gets pummeled or whatever, they the Grigri will continue to work. Yeah. And so there, there's definitely an argument there that it's a. I mean, I believe it's a safer device in that way. Yeah. I just find, for me, like the trade-off. I've always been able to keep people from dying with my ATC you know, for decades, literally. And so the trade-off of like this kind of shitty belay that you can sometimes give, and I believe that that's the case. You know, I, I, I think that I am right in a way about that. And it's fine if like your, your climber's just, you know, cruising along and not stressing out. But if, because the thing about like a sport climbing belay, and I, and since this post, the couple of times I've went climbing, I've watched myself and I've watched my belayer is that to give like a bunch of rope really fast when you're sport climbing, you actually step into the second yeah, yeah, toss, sure. which you cannot do when you're on a, on a, on yeah, a if you're hanging or something. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was the thing I'm like, well, you don't like, I was kind of arguing with people like, you don't get exactly what I mean. It's easy to give one arm length, but the second one is where things start to go haywire. Cause you kind of run out of rope. And that's what I was saying is like, you don't know it, but you step into the second arm length of rope when you when you belay with a Grigri sport climbing which you cannot do so those all those sorts of things were in the in the fold but then it like it inevitably like turned sour where then people were just like posting like you're stupid like literally this is the stupidest thing i've ever read was one comment you know and i was like i mean all like the 30 other people that commented like didn't think it was so stupid they couldn't like you know, give their ideas around it. Like it, it, I felt like it was like a really good forum. And then of course, like a couple people had to like dump on it and then, and then like people defended me and then like, it just kind of went off the rails a little bit, you know, not too bad, but it was just kind of funny that I was like, I was like, well, we can't, we can't even sort of like disagree on these techniques without it, you know, turning to this and, or like people were like, well, why are you, posting this divisive stuff and i'm like well what's divisive about saying that i prefer the atc on a on a route you know i wasn't i wasn't then like anyone who said that like they preferred the gree gree i wasn't like going like well you're an idiot yeah you know it's like 
I don't know. It, it just was like this thing where it felt like we've, there's sort of this place where like any sort of like disagreement about certain things inevitably like goes off the rails. You know what I mean? Well, and, I have, and, I have and a few. It was more, it was more apparent to me because it had been like quite productive. The comments I thought were very productive for such a long time. It was like, why are you, once somebody then posted that, I was like, well, why are you seeing something here that I'm not seeing? Cause mm-hmm. I'm seeing like really good discussion where I've actually kind of like changed my mind a little bit, you know? Yeah. Well, I have a couple uh, observations on, on what you just said. The first is my, I just want to, put my uh gree multi-pitch technique on the record okay um i if i have a lap coil i always keep the current loop of rope that i'm belaying on like as a double it's like right twice as long as mm-hmm. as the lap coil always on the break hand side and i don't let it get shorter than the current lap coils because once it starts getting shorter then it gets tangled up in the other coils and then it could create a knot or something so it's always like one low one um loop of slack is always twice as long always 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 yeah always you've never like leaned in to like get something out of the pack and then have the fucking loops all of a sudden just whip off of your you know what i'm saying it's like it's the goal right you you, obviously you don't always do that but that's the that's the technique the thing that is most concerning to me about what you just said is that you're going to the internet to have your mind changed, which is <laughs> what I thought this podcast was for. <laughs> this is my job, and those people shouldn't be doing that job. Okay. So you need to stay off the internet, Chris. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I then like stoked it a little bit, I will admit. Um <laughs> Because that's, I was just like, all right, this is like, I'm, I'm kind of like pissed off now too. And then I actually, I, I deleted a couple comments that I had made along those lines. And it was a lesson to me there too. I was like, all right, don't, don't stoke it. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, get, get all offended and like become part of the problem. But then the other funny thing that when you said like talking about like how, you know, you reevaluated letting me belay you, that was the other thing that was like annoying to me is because everybody <laughs> just suddenly switch to like that. I don't use a Grigri. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you can't, I, I use it all the time. Like if I go, I mean, I, my ETC hasn't been in my sport climbing pack in like 10 years for any reason. Yeah. I don't even have it in there as a quote unquote backup or anything. It's just not in there, you know? And, and the funny thing is, is I've forgotten my belay. You device. don't keep it on your harness next to your yeah. belay tag and buy my, um, two cordelettes. Yeah. No. And so that's the thing is like, I'm, I'm an, I'm like a complete, evangelist of the Grigri as a climbing device. I think as a piece of technology, it changed climbing more than just about anything that's happened in the last 30 years. And, and so it's like, I think, and it's brilliant and it's all the other ones that other companies have tried to make have failed in comparison. If you think an ATC is bad, like there's some shit out there that was like a really terrible attempt and other companies have attempted that I know of, have attempted to make one and just scratched it because they they knew they hadn't come close to the simplicity of use and design that Petzl did in the first one, let alone the improvements that they made. So it's like, I believe in all that. I think it's a great device. I just have this one application where I find it to be difficult. It's also heavy, you know? And so if you're well, all if you're you playing also, games you're with a- all this other weight stuff when you're multi-pitch yeah. climbing, but you're like, 
I'm going to bring this lump of metal. But then you also have to bring an ATC if you're going to repel anyway. Well, that's where, remember, our whole simul repelling thing right. got funky, is everybody just simul repels with their grease. Yeah, which they shouldn't do. Yeah, well, either way, it's not... I think that most people do have that backup ATC with them anyway, Mm -hmm. um, exactly for that reason, in case simul climbing or simul repelling isn't going to work or whatever. And most people, and usually when you're climbing multi-pitch routes, you know, someone's not like hang-dogging on a route. Right. And that's like the the grace of the playing a leader sport climbing. Yep. And, and And it's safer, you know, and I totally admit that. Yeah. But it was just like an interesting, you know, just way of like looking at the way things evolve on, on the internet when you when you're talking about stuff like that. I've started just deleting comments um, that I don't like. Oh, on really? My stuff, and I have. I used to be really against that because I'm kind of like a free speech evangelist, and um, or at least I you know have that principle that I, I want people. I'm I'm not afraid of like critical discourse and stuff. Or I'd like to think that I'm not like that, but we live in a world now where just everyone has their own platform and everyone has a way to communicate what they, and say what they want to say. And so the, the necessity of providing stupidity on my own thing seems less vital or just like less necessary. So if, if someone crit- is critical of something I've written or said, and they have a good point, or even if I don't agree with their point, but it's well stated, I, I'm not going to delete that. But the people who just like re- insist on misunderstanding what you're trying to say or just casting it in the worst possible light or something like that, or some, it doesn't even have to be me, someone else, if they're criticizing someone else on the thread, I just delete that shit because I don't, I don't have tolerance for that. If mm-hmm. you want to say something that stupid, you have at least, you know, 10 different ways to do it. And you're welcome to do that on your own, on your own platform or whatever, on your own social media account. But I'm not going to, I just don't tolerate that because it, it just like, you know, dilutes in the, the discourse and it makes people, it it devolves as as you said. And so I don't know, I've, I've, this is a a recent revelation I've had in the last year, I'd say it's Mm -hmm. not, not that old where I've been just a little bit more liberal and open to just straight up deleting shit that I think is so stupid and doesn't add anything. The thing, the other thing I was thinking about though, is like, you know, it's like I was saying, it's like people were giving me shit and it's fine because like, you know, it's like I, 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 I put it out there kind of knowing that. And it's like, I, I don't want the, I don't want it to become so flat that like we can't fucking give each other shit Mm -hmm. and i don't mind it i don't you know again if like you're just like oh you're an old man like stuck to your atc like haha i get it like that's funny and and you're right in a way like you know the the sort of broad kind of satire sort of stuff and and it's a it's a tricky thing because i was like giving people shit back you know like oh yeah well next time you short your belair like think of me you know which i totally which could come across as like a sarcastic totally. thing or like a like a serious thing that right. you like really totally that's yeah. exactly what i thought and i was yeah. like well you know afterwards i'm like they don't know that i'm sitting here chuckling and like right. going like touche you know back to you like you gave me shit i'm gonna give you shit back and that's where i'm like well god it's that's just what emojis big... are for well yeah i mean yeah the winky face right yeah winky face go for it <laughs> you know like you could say like the meanest fucking thing about something then go winky face at the end of it and they're like Wait, was he kidding? 
<laughs> it's like your mother's a whore, Trebek. <laughs> Winky face. But <laughs> but yeah, and that, that was the thing. I was like, well, shit, it's just such a poor place to try to do that. But it's also a little bit of like the brand, right? The the, the our brand too. You know, it's mm-hmm. like let's fucking joke about it and not get too prickly about everything. Yeah. But I think like just flat out like you're stupid is not, there's nothing, there's no turn of phrase. There's no like, ha ha. Yeah. You know, come, come with something like original yeah. at least or witty, yeah. you know, you know it's even like, if it's really you, mean fucking dick. Like, yeah, I think no one can misconstrue that as being like angry and aggressive. Yeah. Um, but, but you know what I said? Like, it's like, yeah, I was like, yeah, think of me next time you short your belayer or short your climber. I realized that that could be like the total attack. Right. Even though I was just like, ha ha, like you're up there like, oh, Calus said I was going to do this, you know? Yeah. And if you actually think about what that situation might be like, you know, someone's like, oh, you know, struggling with the rope. And then they're just like, oh, ha ha. Uh huh. Calusa's right. Calusa's right. right yeah. yeah. I just, it would be up. funny. Like, that's what you're, that's invoking. what I was going for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, like I said, it's, I totally understand the, di- the, the, the technique of the lap coil, the longer to shorter keep a loop out but that's what i'm always like you know you're spacing out and like are you reaching over trying to eat a granola bar and all of a sudden your fucking rope's all fucked up right you know it's like that's the reality of it and when that happens it's always just like ah, like it's not super dangerous usually it's just like oh i just fucking shorted my my guy up there and and you know i just yeah so it's just kind of like part of the foibles of of multi-pitch climbing you're not giving a it's really hard to give a perfect belay off a lap coil it just is, you know, it's windy or loud. Your 10 feet that you've, you know, strategically placed ahead of time is now like hooked on something down there. And I mean, out of your reach, I mean, there's all, all sorts of things that happen. So when you're, when those things are, you know, happening to you, that's when I was like, yeah, think of me. <laughs> Next time we go climbing, um, and I short rope you. Yeah, I'll be. I will think of you. Yeah, but the funny thing is, is we've all done that too. Where you're like, all of a sudden you're sport climbing, and, and the fucking rope's hooked on like the tiniest twig, right? That's like by your toe, and like you were kind of spacing out, and all of a sudden, like, oh shit, and the fucking thing locks because you're like trying to get the. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Like it happens when you're standing on the ground, let alone when your your rope's on a big pile on your on in, in your lap. Totally. You know? So. Anyhow, but yeah, but that was the other funny thing is that, like I said, there's a lot of people out there for whom an ATC is like a, you know, it's like leaving a loaded gun laying around or something. Like It is funny how much that's changed. Because I swear like 20 years ago, it was the Grigri that was the thing that people were suspicious about. Here's an interesting thing. When I was in LA, when the, the gym I worked in in LA first opened, they actually didn't allow Grigri's. Right. Because there was like this idea that you didn't learn how to belay properly right. if you had a Grigri, which is a whole nother subject that we could talk about. Yeah. How the, have we talked about how gyms make people stupid? <laughs> I feel like that has come up, but okay. maybe not like right. explicitly right. the right. title of our, uh, an episode. They make people unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say sure. that's a yeah. pretty plausible theory. Anyhow, if you guys want to go multi-pitch climbing with me, you're just gonna have to put up with my ATC. I've made it this far. I refuse. (laughs) Tom Randall is an athlete, a climbing coach, an entrepreneur, and undeniably one of the great crack climbers of all time. He and Pete Whitaker recently established the first ascent of the Great Rift, perhaps the biggest roof crack 
in the world. I am actually on a random just going climbing trip because I spent every single year pretty much for the last 20 years in the States, maybe two trips a year. And with the whole pandemic and COVID and stuff like that, I just haven't really been able to travel for two years or so now. Um, so this has been a trip, long time coming. And all I want to do is just meet up with as many friends and go climbing to as many places as possible. So I've got no objective really at all, which is freaking great. So Tom, uh, you know, we, we saw on social media this last week that you've uh, completed um, a half dome sized project, only it's completely dead horizontal and it's not even a real rock face. It's just uh, the underpass of a bridge. I just wanted to set up our conversation by noticing and kind of admiring the fact that you're this person who's thought outside the box in a lot of interesting ways in the course of your climbing career. And um, done things that are different that just don't feel like the run of the mill kind of, you know, boxes to tick that you see a lot of professional climbers going after. And so I don't know if I have a question involved in this observation, but I just, I'm an, an admirer and a fan of people who think differently and approach the sport differently. And you seem to do so just with a sense of humor in addition to just bringing your, you know, your physical talents and skills set to, to the table. I guess all I can say is that I'm very invested in and understand myself well enough to know that I really hate trodding, treading too much of the kind of path as such that everyone else does. And I get the most value out of doing things which are different, you know, challenge my, even my own thoughts or those of others. I'm a massive rebel. I don't want to go with the system. If something seems like it is going against the system, it seems even more appealing to me. And also, especially if people think it's ridiculous or stupid or a bad idea, that even seems even more appealing. So that's where it always ends up is these kind of projects. And of course, I've got Pete, who's very similar, like a similar sort of mindset. Yeah, I've made that observation in the past that you guys, you know, like found each other in, in, uh, in just the right time. And the and if you've never met each other, your whole lives would probably be, be quite a bit different as well as your climbing career. So that seems to be sort of a, uh, I don't know if it's fate or luck or what, but uh, it's worked out pretty good for you guys. Yeah, it, it definitely has. The, the more years that pass, actually, I think I become more appreciative of that partnership. And I was just telling someone recently when we were doing this bridge project, and, you know, it's like a multi-day thing. You spend a lot of time with the other person. You're in really close quarters. You're, you know, changing over at belays. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on. Whereas actually nowadays, there's so little kind of said between me and Pete half the time. You just know what the other person needs in that situation and how their energy is working within, you know, good pitches, bad pitches, who needs the support who doesn't, who needs a psych. And it's it's just a yeah something that's evolved over a load of time. Um, and I most definitely don't take it for granted because it's freaking hard to try and find other climbing partners, uh, which is probably why me and Pete end up climbing a lot together because we struggle to find it elsewhere. You mean you can't find other people to spend three days on the bottom of a, of a freaking highway overpass? 
Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that's the homeless people. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, again, you've sort of teased this bridge thing on social media, um, talked about the film, but if, if you're willing to answer, I do have a couple questions. First of all, how you sort of got away with it, because I mean, here in the States, like Homeland Security be there, you know, with, with guns trained on you as soon as they found out somebody was down there. Can, can you give that a reveal as to like, how the hell did you get away with being up there for climbing on it anyway for multiple days? Uh, well, the answer is we didn't get away with that oh. initially. Um, <laughs> okay. and, and the police did get called and they turned up and we were made to come down. Um, and that's kind of, that was prefaced by at least a year of really consistent bridge roof crack climbing all across the UK in different cities and lots of different situations. So actually we've had lots of interactions with the public and various kind of officials in some kind of capacity and no one's ever had any issues. So in some ways we were quite relaxed about having the, the effort and we thought, we'll just see what happens. And I'd gone and spoken to as many police involved or law involved people uh, beforehand just to get a rough view on whether we were you know going to end up with a, a one-year li- prison sentence or something like that straight <laughs> off just to kind of like find out how serious this all could be and everyone seemed pretty relaxed about it and then after getting you know the situation with where we had to come down and abandon the whole thing and we got halfway across so it was you know a lot of effort to get to there is we went through a process of just having a really open dialogue with the police and chatting to them quite a bit and, you know, we have multiple people that we talk to and kind of explain the whole project. In reality, there was a lot of gray areas. There was a lot of, you know, it's not really totally advisable. You probably really shouldn't be doing it. And we just had to tread a really careful line with it. And I just hoped to not have pissed off too many people to have not hurt anyone, damaged any buildings, you know, that kind of stuff. You just have mm-hmm. to be somewhat sensible about it. So I guess you you talked the the cops into into leaving you alone, or or did you just uh, did so somebody nobody notice you the second time? Oh no, they definitely noticed. <laughs> um, yeah, there, right. there was, mo- um, but they, they were aware. So cool. um, I think I, it was on day two. We had a call from someone that said that the police had been in touch and they knew that we were up there and were aware that we were up there again. So. Okay. Yeah, it worked out a little bit better, but it was it was a fine line. It, right. it was one of the bigger issues with the project, actually. Sure. Well, I can only imagine. I mean, I just don't imagine at least anywhere urban here in the states that it would have ever you'd have ever gotten away. I mean, there would have been a, a flat out no, you're going to go to jail, like, or we're going to shoot you. Is more, you know, that's the American response is we'll just put some bullets in you. But um, yeah, so I, I was just like, holy Especially crap, were, what are they doing up there? <laughs> yeah. Especially if you were, you know, happened to be maybe Muslim and wearing a keffiyeh or something like that. Oh, yeah. No, that'd be trouble. You wouldn't last long in the States. No. Shoot your ass yeah. down. Well, actually, um, the, the biggest issue on the first attempt when we went across was we were actually up there during some of the kind of it was either nationwide or worldwide protests for climate change. So everyone had a real kind of, you know, heightened radar for this kind of stuff and people climbing on the undersides of bridges and looking weird and doing strange activities definitely fits on that side of, oh, these look like Greenpeace protesters, et cetera. So that was what they were actually most concerned about originally. 
I think they were somewhat relieved that we were just climbers. <laughs> that you do some horrible thing like unfurl a banner that said save the earth or something like that. You know, <laughs> that's what they're yeah, worried just, about. Right. <laughs> yeah, just generally causing a massive public nuisance. Yeah, and... that's pretty wild. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, the, one other question is, now you, you talked a bit in that post too about how the bridge was sort of moving and expanding and things as, as trucks and, and whatnot went over. You had actually a specific I, I assume it was a truck. It was some, you know, some British reference to a lorry, if you will. Were you ever gripped that like your shit was going to fall out? Because I think if I was hanging on cams as my belay, you know, the two of you or whatever, I don't care how many were in there. If it's all in the same crack, if things started to rumble and shake, I think I'd kind of piss my pants. Um, did you ever have any problems with that? Like, uh, or, or worry about the, the gear being, uh, loose or, or wobbling out for some reason uh yeah it, it it was a factor and i don't want to kind of like over egg it too much that whole mm-hmm. kind of expando bridge thing but yeah it's really really weird and it causes quite a few issues with the whole i mean it's hard to relax in the first place because you're constantly a little bit on edge because i mean you, you'll sit on the belay and you'll look at the friends in the crack above you and the things are like rocking in the crack. They're moving so much. You can, you can physically see the two sides of the bridge change height in relation to each other. And you put your hands in a jam and you can, you can feel the jam get wider or tighter on occasions with large vehicles that are going over the top. And the way that I tried to explain to someone the other day of how much this is part of the whole thing was that eventually when we got down on the other side, after four days is when I was on the ground for the first half day, every single time I heard a lorry go over the top or I kind of just got a sense of passing traffic, everything like the ground would move and flex because my brain, so I had this Pavlovian response that sound of vehicle means whatever you're attached to is going to move and sway, but it's not. So I was standing on the ground going, it was really trippy. It was was weird. (laughs) it's like climbing in an earthquake yeah so, yeah something like that it's just like that added thing that if you you're on a you know a trad climb and it feels a little bit dirtier than you're expecting or the the flake feels really hollow and loose it's just that extra bit harder to relax and that adds into the whole experience but because it's very repetitive in some ways you, you get into the groove with it and you start to not stress out about it. And I mean, I figured that you'd have to rip quite a few of them to hit the ground. So is there um, an ethic to um, overpass roof climbing? Like how do you break up the pitches? Is it, is there an equivalent <laughs> to the Yuji Hirayama ethic of ledge to ledge ascents on El Cap or do you go from mile marker to mile marker? What's the, what's the style that you guys used? Yeah. So the ethic is, me and Pete went, right, well, no one else is doing this, so we'll do what the heck we want to do. <laughs> so that was the first thing, which we we find really appealing because we go, yes, we can just make up whatever rules we want. So let's make it like the thing which fits on that fine red line of really tricky, but still kind of doable. And the, and the way in which we did that for the pitches, you climb right until the point where you feel like you're about to fall off in like five to 10 seconds or two moves later. 
So you just like move after move after move. And then you get to that red line where you're like, I can maybe do one more jam and slam a cam in the crack and I'm off. And you just go to that point. And <laughs> that meant that sometimes because the, the size and the flex of the bridge or the dirtiness of the crack made it shorter. Other times it was just right for a while and you do a lot, lot longer pitch. But it was interesting because for four days in a row, you're climbing pitch after pitch to full red line where you're five seconds away from falling off. And you just got to do that every single time. So it makes it challenging in terms of what your body will do. It's, it's cool. It was really fun. You and uh, Pete have spent probably more time than anyone um, climbing fake cracks. Uh, you know, you've built them in your basement. You have a company where you make them. Um, so, and now you've done, you know, this monolithic new, new ascent. Um, is, is this going to be like a consistent theme? Are you, are you, are you more less psyched on climbing the real stuff? Or are you just more interested in finding more like amazing fake cracks to climb? <laughs> what a question. <laughs> How how dare you call them fake cracks? <laughs> I kind of find that strange too. Uh, I mean, non-Robin, like a fake. What is a fake crack? Like you put, it's like made out of paper. I don't know. Like that seems more like you know, a paper mache you know crack. And it's like a plastic <laughs> yeah, crack, know. or know. A, you know, a concrete crack, or a you know, plywood crack. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, good question. I think, <laughs> oh, what does it come down to? It's a blend. It's if me and Pete are really into it and it feels appealing and it's going to be an adventure and a mission and something with a unique experience, which we've never done before, we're probably going to be into it, whether it is a concrete crack or someone showed us a, you know, a cardboard crack. I don't really care if it just looks different and appealing and yeah, if people think it's a bit odd, then that's even better. And for, you know, how it relates to real rock and, and everything like that, I would actually argue. So interestingly, a week ago, I went back to the crack house for the first time for maybe three years, which is that amazing, you know, roof crack bouldering thing that uh, Dean Potter's, you know, well known for climbing there and this kind of splitter hand crack. And I came back from that session in the crack house and went, Oh, those bridge cracks back in the UK, they're way better than the crack house. And <laughs> I fully stand by that. Now, I remember the crack house as being brilliant, but they're not as good as concrete cracks. They're just purer. There's more technique involved. There's no cheating. You, you've got to know your technique better than anyone else out there. It's pure. Yeah. So I think concrete could be where it's at. It's a, it's a riveting and strong defense of fake cracks, but um, we'll, we'll have to keep, it's something that we'll have to keep debating, I think. I don't think um, we're going to get to the bottom of this on this episode. <laughs> the, rea- a real, uh, the reality of cracks. It's all space. It's all just empty space. So I don't know if we can even prove a crack exists. Um, but, uh, you know, th- there was like, you, I remember like everybody concerned about around, um, free solo that all of a sudden, like just all these people were going to attempt to free solo El Cap. I, I don't know if you remember all that bullshit, but, um, people were, were concerned that it was going to inspire young men to go kill themselves on, on El Cap. So do you think you, you might set off like a worldwide bridge crack climbing fad? Have you heard from other people digging around in their neighborhoods for roof cracks? 
Yeah, well, that was one of the things that was really cool during the pandemic was we were getting sent photos and project lines from all over the world, bridge cracks in, you know, like Sweden, Los Angeles, you know, Sydney. And we got photos and people trying stuff in some of the most bizarre situations where like one looked like it was underneath some sort of like sewage works or something like that. Like people were going really to the, you know, the, the, the depths as such uh, to find these things. And I've met a lot of really good friends now who got into that kind of style of climbing during the lockdowns. And it was really a, I suppose a release or an outlet for a lot of climbers who couldn't go traveling to that form of climbing and that they collected around a, a sort of a unifying object or theme in the middle and still got to do, got to do their pursuit and the thing that they were interested in. And I thought that was actually really lovely, but I, it really, I suppose, gave me hope that in some ways climbing isn't always actually about just the, this particular crag or this particular line It's about loads of groups of people collecting together in areas that they all share a common kind of you know passion for and it was nice to see that because it was crap couple of years and that felt very positive in that time i would imagine too it's like you you guys validated some long-standing uh urban climbing communities because i know uh, you know i have a friend actually climbs down in the creek um and uh he he's got bridge cracks up in cleveland that they climb on and these abutment cracks and you know again sounding like you know, so much harder than what he ever encountered in the creek. And, uh, you know, I, I've just heard it over the years. And of course, Andre has been, you know, messing around on his bridge or ret, you know, yeah. so it's, it's, it's interesting that there has been these like urban climbing communities that n- never got any love. And, it, and maybe you've, uh, you know, you've brought them into the light, like, like uh, uh, out into the real world, so to speak, away from their fake cracks. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it will... I think it will be a thing which now maybe we've crossed over the threshold where people realize that they are available under the right circumstance. So, for example, for me in the UK now, if I really want a trad climbing, you know, US monster crack experience, I can go to somewhere that's relatively local to me and easily go and do that. Whereas actually, if I want to go and do some other form of climbing, that seems more appealing. I'll just do that. So it's more like it's just saying this is an option. We've made it somewhat palatable or appealing and given information, show people how to do the things, the logistics, whether you're going to get in trouble or not. And then it's up for everyone else to decide whether they want to do it long term. Who who knows what happens with it? Well, it's interesting, too, that you're, you know, you're an off with climber known for some of the hardest off with in the world and promoting that that sort of end of the sport and then you know there's the old randy levitt levitation you know legend of of those guys learning how to climb upside down uh roof cracks in at, on the cu boulder campus i guess in the the parking structure although that didn't catch on but that, that's a legend you know that's been around american climbing forever is the is the levitation technique learned in at cu in the seven or the 80s yeah i, I mean that's where i was first aware of that idea and I've been looking under bridges and structures for most of my adult life for these (laughs) these kind of cracks and I don't really quite know why I didn't properly spot them in a way before I don't really know but I'm very aware of that original starting point 
all that stuff. And it was cool to see also for me that those people were going and doing things outside as well, because that was the same scene that we kind of grew up with in the Sheffield, you know, Ben Moon, Jerry Moffat, people training in these kind of dingy, artificial, fake, not really, you know, a reality of what we do outside, but seeing the transfer and knowing that it worked. And that gives you a kind of a belief and an attachment to that thing. And it becomes part of the climbing experience. And it, then once you've done it for enough years, you can't separate them. I have another stupid question. If someone were to install a sport climb next to your roof crack, like with fake holds and bolts and stuff, would you see that as of an offense or is the umbrella of climbing culture open enough now where we ha- we can have sport- fake sport climbs next to fake crack climbs? <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't bother me. They can, <laughs> yeah, they can do whatever they want, I guess. As I'm, long as I'm it's not installed hu- ground up. Yeah, I, I'm just not hugely opinionated about <laughs> the actions of others on the stuff that I do with climbing. I, I, I don't really think about or get involved with other people's activities or ethics particularly it it doesn't it just doesn't really interest me as a climber i know that sounds really lame perhaps um and that maybe i should have more interest in it but i'm more interested in climbing i I, I, of course i'm saying that jokingly i I actually don't care either (laughs) (laughs) i think some structural engineers might care if someone started drilling (laughs) holes in the bottom of their bridge (laughs) (laughs) that might land you in uh with in hot water with the police well i guess one a uh, quick question is maybe you could just tell us uh, if you have, if you know the details about when the film's coming out and, and when people can expect to, to watch you guys doing this, this route. Oh yeah. So the film is coming out in March, 2022 with the real rock tour. And I think it kicks off as the premiere in Boulder, Colorado on the 10th or the 11th of March. I believe those are the dates. So yeah, M- March, 2022, um and the whole thing will be going forward and it was one of the film projects that i've worked on with pete where i felt like it was filmed really well as in the crew put in a really good effort there was some really odd different amusing stuff that happened that i'm not sure people will quite expect uh so i have full full faith that real rock will make a yeah a bit of a different film it won't be like your normal climbing film for sure well yeah they must have eaten that up i mean it's just like you know talk about breaking the mold you know and and i'm sure that well we've talked to pete and you know they're always looking for some way to shake it up you know it's it's pretty easy to make the film about the young crusher crushing and uh i know they look for new things and and weird angles so there ain't ain't a weirder angle than that really in climbing so they must have been stoked (laughs) yeah it's it's definitely the oddest thing that i've done in a really long time and it was also really cool to do something that was absolutely at the limit of me and pete's experience and ability as well because it wasn't just a you know a stunt project or a you know oh let's just make this amazing media thing and do something for our careers and pump out another one of these glossy films or bit of promotional material for our professional athlete careers. It's just not, this is not the case. It was actually 
genuinely really hard. And even when we were on the route, me and Pete were saying to each other, imagine if we tried to do this two or three years ago, we just wouldn't have got up it. Like, no way, just didn't have enough ability. So it was very nice to find a proper hardcore experience in with all of that. Are you going to be out in Boulder in March for the premiere? Yeah, yeah. I'll be nice. uh, out for a month for March, I think. Cool. cool. Chris and I will maybe try to come out and ply you with uh, some alcohol and get more of the behind-the-scenes stories. From oh, your I don't experience. think you drink. You don't drink, do you, Tom? Okay. I don't, know. No. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah we'll figure out something. There's so much stuff that um, I can tell you but i just can't do it publicly right <laughs> <laughs> well let's change gears then back to your trip now um you're you're here in the states and um you you mentioned to me just this morning how you're you're getting this uh indian creek baptism was the word that you used um which sort of implies that maybe you haven't climbed a ton down there over the the years i know you spent a lot more time in the last few years up near moab and out in the white rim you know doing the century crack all those sorts of things. So did you sort of um, end up avoiding Indian Creek and, and what's uh, what makes this trip a, a baptism in your own words? Yeah. So we spent a lot of time previously going down the white rim and kind of, it's maybe been 10 years of me and Pete going down there and exploring and establishing first ascents and getting really good at the, the style of rock down there, which typically is much, much steeper and we did actually have one trip to Indian Creek way back in the day. And we mistakenly went with a double rack. So just two of each size and then tried to do a load of the classics, which ended up being really scary because I think, I don't know, being Brits, we we just didn't realize this whole thing of you've got to take eight of each size. And that really is a thing. We kind of went, oh, yeah, but did you really need to do that? I mean, <laughs> probably just space them out a little bit. It'll be fine. And that isn't true. Um, and, and also on that same trip is we, I think me and Pete just moaned for about four days, nonstop about how much our feet hurt from standing on them in vert style cracks and went, this is terrible. I don't like this style of climbing at all. And we weren't really very adjusted to it. So there was never a, a kind of I suppose a need in a way to go back or there wasn't a, a positive enough experience I would say from that first ever creek trip to make you know like that burning desire to go back again almost like you know your first gambler's hit if they have an amazing experience in the first one they just want it again and again and our first creek experience wasn't actually a particularly good one so that just lay dormant for all these years and then as I've started to you know, come back to the US again and want to not be project focused and go and do loads of the 513s that I've never gone and done because I was always like, oh, let's just do the hardest thing ever. Let's go and project this. Let's do something right at our limit. I suddenly realized there's a ton of stuff to do. And also my abilities on that vertical style, completely pure splitter, not half as refined as I sort of thought it was. And it's been a bit of an eye opener going, huh, I'm not very good at this. Uh, I've really got a lot more to learning or a lot more to learn. But then coupled with that, at the end of each day, I sit there and go, oh, this is the best thing ever. It's like being a beginner climber again. I know I've done loads of crack climbing, but 
I can see where I am now and I can see where I want to be in another year's time or so with this style. And that's miles away. So this is really, really exciting. And I just get so psyched because I realize how much learning there is to do. And that's just mega exciting. That's awesome. And it's also easier to have friends around when you're not in some dank cave down in the white room, actually. <laughs> if you if you want to actually climb with your friends, um, it's easier to do that in a place yeah. like Indian Creek, for sure. Yeah, there's a much better scene to it. It's It feels like more like crack cragging, whereas the white rim feels more like adventure climbing and mm-hmm. you're way out there on your own and you're doing your thing. And what's been a highlight from the from the climbing down there? I think it has to be six star mm. for me because when I've been going down the cellar in my ha- in my underneath the house for twelve years or so, and when I walk into the del- uh, the through the door of the cellar on the right hand side, there's a huge poster of six star with that just one of the best looking splitters on the planet, and someone just powering the way up it, and I look at that every time and kind of think about like sort of like that dream whereas i'm just down underneath the house in sheffield and it's kind of dank and crap um but six star six star is the kind of paradise i guess and to then finally go on a route that i've looked at and dreamt about all these years has been an amazing experience it's a bit like having being the fan of some amazing footballer and you watch them play for decades in the stadium and then eventually you get to go and meet them somehow with like a you know match side meet and greet thing and i'm going whoa i can actually go on six star i can be in this experience and that's the best thing and that's what i've loved and getting to do it with really good friends at the same time and all that learning stuff associated with it 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 makes it really really special If you're sitting there thinking, how the hell do these guys keep this amazing run of incredible content up and going? Then look no further than our Patreon account at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Support the run out there and get a buoyant bonus content like the story of how a dick move on Tenken Poche in the Himalaya nearly got Andrew canceled again. The bonus material is raw and for your ears only when you become a patron. So join us in the shadowy inside world of climbing at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Greetings, Runout Podcast listeners. My name is Bradley Carter, although most people call me Chum, which is a nickname that I have had since the 1980s. So if you can do math, you can figure out that, yes, I am an old fart of a rock climber. But I'm also a musician, and if you're a climber, you have likely heard my music before, even if you didn't know it. And that's because my music has been used by many climbing and outdoor adventure content creators. For example, my music has been used in The Dawn Wall, The Dirtbag Diaries, some older Big Up films, and, and several others. It's even been played here on The Run Out. So I've recently started releasing music under the name ChumDM3, which is a play on words. It's um, 
kind of a play on my nickname and the old 80s hip-hop favorite, Run DMC. And I've got a new song that was just released on December 1st, and that song is called Full Nelson. It's basically a rock and roll kind of instrumental track, but you have to understand that it's written by somebody who understands bluegrass and newgrass music a lot better than they understand any other kind of music. So there's that. And it's also got a 90s era boom bap hip hop groove under it because I'm addicted to playing over those beats. And the name of the song is a tribute to Paul Nelson, who sadly passed away this year. Paul was also a musician, and he was a really good one. He was a pure jazz musician through and through. And Paul gigged out often in his hometown of Fayetteville, West Virginia, where he was also a teacher, a river guide, a builder of amplifier cabinets, a husband, and yes, he was also a rock climber. He was definitely a kindred spirit. We both love to nerd out about music and climbing, and I know he will be greatly missed. So with that, I present to you this humble tribute to Paul, Full Nelson.
You've just finished another episode of the Runout Podcast. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And I'm Chris Caloose, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> because Chris at runoutpodcast.com is where emails go to die. That's true. We also have a Patreon that you can support our show at, and it's runoutpodcast.patreon.runoutpodcast.com. No, no, no. no, no. It's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Yes. <laughs> if you dream of sending 514 every month for the rest of your life, you should go and sign up at patreon slash runoutpodcast.com. No, dot, dot com slash runoutpodcast. Something like that. Give us some money. Give us some money.